Welcome once again to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. I am once again Benman89, and I'm joined by... Andrew... Man... Just Andrew. 89. <laughs> no, I, 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 need a, I need a name. This is it. I'm changing it now. Andrew Man 89. <laughs> Andrew Man 89. And just when I'm you joined, thought... <laughs> join the ranks. Yes. Ah, oh, there we go. So... <laughs> Both the men 89 are here once again. Just when you thought we covered every version of Batman 89, we're covering the Batman 89 audiobook, specifically what it changed from the movie and the novelization, because clearly you guys can't get enough of the 89 content. So <laughs> and neither we can go. we! <laughs> yes. So uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we covered the 89 novelization written by Craig Shaw Gardner and revealed that there were two editions written, as I'm pulling up here to show you. Uh, and we said that I'd cover the audiobook version of the novelization because of the fact that it is not a direct reading of either version. It's actually a third version of the book with different material from either edition. So uh, you have to get all three in order to get the full Craig Shaw Gardner experience, I guess. Collect the set. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, I hinted that it was going to be a Patreon episode originally, but there's so much non-Batman-related content we wanted to cover in the Patreon I decided let's just reward our audience and follow up with the coverage of the novelization by covering the audiobook. So here we are today on that. Uh, there's also a fair amount that I cut from our novelization episode that I thought were kind of very deeper dives or like smaller cuts. And I decided that's going to be in the second half of this since uh, the audiobook won't take too long here. So, uh, you know, for anyone who wants to listen more past the audiobook, which I know is probably most of you, then you can stick around and we'll cover more of the stuff. This is a secret part two to the novelization episode. So uh, here we are. We have the uh, the thumbnail that our assistant Dan came up with with Batman 89, how the Batman 89 audiobook changes the book, both versions. So, nice. Uh, and then this handsome gentleman that's on the side, he's here because he's the narrator himself, Roddy McDowell. Now, uh, Roddy McDowell is known for several different things. He's famous for having been both Cornelius and Cornelius's son, Caesar, in the original Planet of the Apes movies, the first Planet of the Apes movies. He originated Caesar before Andy Serkis played it, and he did it under makeup rather than the mocap. So he's the, that's a sort of six degrees of Kevin Bacon type of association with Matt Reeves there, since Reeves ended up doing right. the, you know, the latest stuff. But among Batman fans, McDowell has played Bookworm, and Batman 66, which is likely why they cast him to be the voice in this. They're just like, who's going to read the book on tape? I don't know. Get that book guy from Batman 66 to read it. So I think that's out the reason why they asked him to read it. Uh, what if Matt Reeves chooses the bookworm for the Batman? <laughs> yeah. You thought incredible. it was Hush. You thought it was the yeah. Court of Owls. It's uh, <laughs> bookworm? Fuck you. It's bookworm. Eat my <laughs> shit. Daniel Day-Lewis comes out of retirement to be bookworm. <laughs> <laughs> we're all crying in the theater oh my god it's i didn't know thing. i needed this <laughs> becomes the most rewatched batman 66 pair of episodes ever daniel so. day lewis just method x for like eight years reading a book a day i had to read a book a day for this role <laughs> oh man all Did my clothes Batman? no man fuck that shit <laughs> All my clothes had to be wear worn from leather-bound books. 
Yes, just like book yes. war. Yes, so. I lost a hundred pounds <laughs> in the summer. But why? <laughs> you didn't need to, Daniel. <laughs> so, oh man. <laughs> before Daniel Day Lewis hypothetically steps into the role, Roddy McDowell was the original bookworm. And uh, years after this audiobook, he became the voice of the Mad Hatter on Batman the Animated Series. So uh, he had three major contributions to the Batman mythos. This is probably the, the most obscure out of the three. So uh, this episode came about because I was listening to the audiobook in the car because I had read the novelization and I just was just like, okay, cool. Let me just let me just listen to it. I knew it's an hour and a half long, this audiobook. And the book is over 220 pages. And I, I remember from when I listened to it that it was abridged. It's a lot shorter. It definitely cuts out sections of the book. So I just thought, oh, it's just a shortened version of the novelization. And then what I didn't realize, I got to a certain part and I was like, wait a minute. This is not an either version that I've read. Uh, and I realized at that point, it's a third version. So let's go a little bit into it. What's different? So... In every version of the movie we get, we have, you know, from Sam Ham's script onwards, it has a family in the beginning who gets mugged by two criminals who end up getting terrorized by Batman. That's in every script version. That's in the movie. That's in the novelizations. It's not in this. Instead, we have a different opening here. So uh, let's play the clip of Roddy McDowell narrating on this. High up on a roof, two crooks are bent over a stolen wallet, the unconscious body of the victim beside them. Unbeknownst to them, something darker than the night stood on the edge of the roof. It walked toward them. Maybe it was a man. It spread what should have been its arms slowly, majestically. There was a movement below those arms like a shadow of something that wasn't there, or a great pair of leathery wings. On its chest, there was a yellow oval that seemed to glow with a light of its own, and in the middle of that oval was the black emblem of a bat. Don't kill me, one of the crooks pleaded. What are you, the other one asked. The Batman. So, uh, a few differences here. It says that the mugging victim is unconscious on the rooftop with them. There's no family. And then the biggest thing you might have noticed is that, you know, in the movie, Batman kicks one of the guys and he brings one of the other ones over the edge for the I'm Batman scene. And this one, one says, don't kill me. And the other one says, who are you? Mm -hmm. So a uh, very shortened version of that. And again, when I'm this far in the audiobook, I'm just like, all right. So they just really decided to cut that down. Whatever. Um, they definitely cut out certain things. The you know corrupt Lieutenant Eckhart is completely cut out from the audiobook. There is no scene with him in it. And then I brought up in the novelization episode that the book stays true to the, the shooting script. Um, that they're uh, basically having uh, Bruce and Vicky go on horseback and there was no uh, can you pass the salt scene. <laughs> However, oh man, uh, that was not the case for the audiobook. The audiobook keeps the date on horseback and then gives Vicky and Bruce another date, a second date of Vicky coming to Wayne Manor and doing the whole can you pass the salt scene. So this is actually framed as the second date in the audiobook and is a completely new scene that is in neither version of the novelization. So we'll have Roddy McDowell go over it here. Vicky placed her invitation to Wayne Manor on a silver tray and was escorted into the dining room where she was seated at the end of a very long table. At the other end was the millionaire playboy himself, Bruce Wayne. Both of them 
were very tense, but the mutual attraction was obvious. How's the soup? Bruce finally asked after a long silence. Excuse me? The table was so long that Vicky could barely hear him. Soup. Oh, it's great. Could you pass the salt? <laughs> Bruce got up and walked the salt all the way down to the other end of the table. So did you have a difficult time finding the house, he wondered? No, I... Do you like eating in this room? Bruce thought about that for a second. Do you know, I don't think I've ever seen this room before. The house is so big. <laughs> they laughed. The tension was at last broken. It's funny hearing it in his British accent, too. I know. It's so quaint. Uh, <laughs> I feel like he could be definitely one of the Indeed Wizards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he passed the salt. <laughs> Indeed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because the way he said, can you pass the salt, sounds very much like British aristocrats <laughs> around the yes. table, as opposed to how Kim Basinger said it in the movie. I could yeah. Google this for sure, but I'd want to start the conversation in the comments. Where's Roddy McDowell f from? And like, what specific British accent is that? Because it's it's great. <laughs> it's probably yeah. just London. I don't know. But, you know, yeah, something, we'll to, something to add in the comments. Yes. Yes. So let us know uh, on that. But it's it's weird, too, because in the movie, it's already kind of weird where Bruce is like, did you have any trouble finding the place when they met at his place? But here it's even weirder because it's her third time there. So you know, it's also like in the movie, their first date is at his home. That yeah. part's a little weird in and of itself, right? <laughs> Usually your first date's not at your house. The, to be fair, though, they've met at his house. So it's not like oh, unfamiliar yeah, territory on it. That so, is true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, and the, the room is unfamiliar to both of them. So. Yes. Which is so what makes a, it funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought oh, this was man. interesting because this was, this was the scene that I got to when I was driving where I'm like, wait, what the hell? Because I'm just like, this is not in the book. And I like, once I got to my destination, I just checked the, the editions. I'm like, that's not in the book. That's not in the book. Where the fuck does this come from? It comes from just them writing a script for Roddy McDowell to read off that sometimes is the book and sometimes is what they wrote specifically for the audiobook. So who uh, wrote it? I don't know right now. I would oh, have wow. thought it was Craig Shaw Gardner, but they, they claim it's the book on tape. It is just, you know, them reading the novel. It's McDowell reading the novelization of Batman until you get to this part and you're just like, that's not in the book. So where are you reading this from? The, and there's definitely other sections of this. Uh, what if that, this so. is just how good Roddy McDowell is at improv? <laughs> this is just straight up improv. <laughs> he, he improvised it first, and then they thought the audiobook is so good, we gotta have <laughs> Keaton and Basinger back for reshoots to Warren do the Warren Scarin is like, <laughs> Warren Scarin's coming up from a, from a coke bender. God damn it. <laughs> I should have thought of that. <laughs> All right, Roddy. <laughs> hey, Wolfman. Oh! Marv. I feel like yeah. he's hanging out with Marv Wolfman. Dude. <laughs> yeah. They're partying, bro. With yeah. um with Dick Donner. <laughs> Dick Donner and the Donner Chronic. Dr. Donner smoke are all smoking Donner Chronic. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> That's a, oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh so I mean, look, uh Craig Shaw Gardner, another tidbit I did not bring up in the previous one, but he said that he had five drafts of the of the script to work from. So I don't know if that was a scene that was written in a previous draft they just then put in later. I don't know, but it's definitely not in the books, and it's definitely something added to the audiobook. I don't know where it comes from. I don't think Craig Shaw Gardner rewrote sections just for the audiobook because I think he would have said so, so I don't know. 
I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Let us know in the comment section if you happen to know. In fact, I, I could not find anybody acknowledging the fact that the audiobook is so much different from the novelization. Couldn't find it on any sort of wiki or Batman. Any uh, Batman 89 fans haven't talked about it. I think maybe just because, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people have done the cross uh, comparison that I had to do during this time. Like this I didn't is an internet first. It's it feels like an internet first. Like somebody correct me if I'm wrong. If somebody broke this, but I'm like, it's just me driving in the car, being like, wait, what? During the whole time. So uh, that's part of it. <laughs> Were you taking notes while driving? Uh, I just had to take mental notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just being I hope like, so. Uh, yeah. So uh, one thing that is not added is uh, something I wanted to, sh- to highlight, which is uh, Rodney McDowell. He does get to narrate, but he also gets to play the Joker. In this and that's probably mm. that's the best character he plays like his batman is just Roddy mcdowell saying the lines to be honest but <laughs> <what? laughs> i know. am batman <laughs> yeah i'm just like uh eh. yeah he doesn't try to put on a voice you know and okay he yeah. doesn't try to thankfully he doesn't try to do the the christian bill throat cancer voice type that of thing. wasn't even around that really wasn't around time. yeah exactly uh but he doesn't try to do the keaton thing either so maybe it's also because of the fact that the voice change wasn't yet a thing that he doesn't end up doing that when he does the batman lines but there's definitely a sense of mania when he does the the joker stuff where he says the the narration that's supposed to be in the joker's head so here's a clip of that when he confronts boss grissom jack raised the gun so it pointed at grissom's heart jack listen we'll cut a deal the gun didn't move jack (laughs) Jack's dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. Then he took off his hat and coat. Grissom wished that he had left them on. He hardly looked like Jack Napier at all anymore. His flesh was bone white, his hair as green as artificial turf. But it was his mouth that was really horrible. Something that happened in the accident must have frozen his flesh that way his lips much too red against the rest of his skin his mouth warped into a never-ending rictus grin (laughs) as you can see jack replied oh i'm much happier (laughs) he giggled (laughs) and the giggling turned into laughter (laughs) he laughed even louder as he turned his gun on grisp and fired and fired (laughs) and fired So clearly he's having fun at that point. Yes. It's, it's like so quaint. It's, it's, I, I, I am the Joker. Yes. It's, it's hilarious. Like missing, it's missing the like ferociousness, like any ferociousness or whatever. <laughs> uh, until, until the end, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit, little bit crazier. He ramps it up for sure. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, the beginning was just funny. Yeah, it is funny. So uh, that's I thought it was kind of cool to to hear him do it because you know we know him from Bookworm and, and uh, Mad Hatter, but we don't necessarily have a lot from uh, the Joker. So uh, what I have oh. pulled up here is an image of Underdog. Was, was he it? Underdog? No, he was not Underdog. <laughs> oh, I yeah. don't think he was Underdog. Oh, uh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I'm pu- I'm pulling this up for a different reason. Uh, I I went a little bit ahead of myself. Okay. But uh, I'm pulling up Underdog because in the first edition of the novelization, it specifies that one of the parade floats at the end that Joker uses has an underdog parade float. And uh, it's that one that Alexander Knox helps sort of loosen and the balloon goes up and Batman sees underdog and uh, he sort of sees the gas coming out of it and he realizes what's that, what that's for. And so that tips <laughs> him off to get rid of the, the balloons. 
Uh, that is not you know, in now. Yeah, go ahead. Now seeing this, was he Peabody and Sherman? So <laughs> now I have to look this up. Continue, Ben. Peabody and Sherman. Let's take a look uh, at who the voices were. Peabody on this. and Sherman. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Not he sounds like it. he sounds like Mr. Peabody, kinda. Uh, yeah, I'm not uh, seeing his name under sorry, it. Sorry, yeah, we have taken this to a grinding halt, everybody. But, uh, <laughs> Those might be wondering who are the. Vo- <laughs> There's somebody screaming in the comments section, like, "No, it wasn't. It was this person who did the voice of this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben, ben continue. I will well, uh, look at this on the side. Underdog, uh, I'm looking up right now, I believe is voiced by Wally Cox, it says. Yeah, so it's voiced by Wally Cox okay. in the television cartoon. So that's the one. And then you're looking up Peabody and Sherman. So that was not that was not uh, right Still looking. But they're probably channeling I keep finding that the 2014 movie stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's you gotta go back. Yeah. So yeah. the uh, underdog is kind of an interesting detail because that's in the original version of the novelization. However, uh, it seems like the audiobook is following the second edition of the novelization, which has Joker taking Vicky hostage up in the cathedral. So I don't really know. Again, this creates more and more of a mystery of like what, you know, who wrote this damn script that Rodney McDowell's reading from when he's doing this audiobook. Uh, did you find the voice? No, I'm still looking, man. I'm listening to you as well, but <laughs> no I, this is killing no me. This is really, I will report back. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot find the. Let me see if I can find it. <laughs> I must know. <laughs> Voice by no, he's not in it. Bill Scott from nineteen fifty nine to nineteen sixty. So that's the yeah, that that's must the first be him. name that comes up as uh, Mr. Peabody. And then uh let's see. Sherman was voiced by Walter Tetley, it says. So those are the voices. I could find All right. I'm glad we answered that, everybody. Uh <laughs> <laughs> sounded kind of similar to Mr. Peabody. And the, the 2014 movie is not bad either. I've, I've seen it. It's pretty good. I haven't seen it. Uh, I'm not super familiar with them, I think. So that's probably why. But uh, I can see them trying uh, dude, to I would watch As a kid, I would watch any cartoon. I would watch <laughs> any cartoon when I was a kid. If that shit was animated, I'd watch mm-hmm. a Tina Turner. Not Tina Turner. Um, pa- <laughs> sorry. Paula Abdul video with a dancing cat. Oh, because there was <laughs> animation in it? Yeah, it's an animation in it. Watch that like over and over. I just want—I would watch anything animated. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, yes, uh, Peabody's Room pretty cool. 1960s. I probably saw it. I don't even know how I saw it. Anyway, back to Batman 89. Sorry. Yeah, no go. problem. No problem. Okay, so Underdog, the parade float is only in the audiobook and the original edition, strangely enough. So uh, that's what we got there. And then uh, there are a lot of things that they end up cutting. So... The entire sequence of Vicky's apartment that we said last time was very different, uh, where Bruce gets shot in like the utility belt. That's not in the audiobook. Batman and Joker's confrontation around the mayor uh, during the daytime. That's not in it. Knox fighting up Bruce's parents get getting killed. That's cut. Uh, Bruce flashing back to his parents' murder is also cut. Bruce and Vicky's conversation in the Batcave or in the study in the novel also cut. It just basically goes from Batman saves Vicky from the museum takes her to the Batcave, tells her what the code is, Vicky publishes the code, and then Joker just basically announces he's going to crash the festival and then crashes the festival. That's what it is. It's, it's, it just cuts mm-hmm. a lot of the big sections out of it. So that brings up a question then. Uh, since it cuts the apartment sequence where Joker first says, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight to Bruce, and it cuts the parents' flashback, how does it handle Batman confronting Joker? 
when it comes to the fact that Batman is avenging his parents' deaths, especially because at this point in the audiobook, when you get like an hour and 20 minutes in, Batman's parents being killed is not even brought up in this audiobook at this point. So I'm wondering when I'm listening, I'm like, how are you going to handle this considering you cut out the plot points that would have told us this, this information? So uh, what, how they end up doing it is not necessarily, it's not great in execution, but it does have something that I felt was a huge fundamental change to the story uh, on that. So let's, uh, let's take a look at what uh, Roddy McDowell reading an unknown script version of uh, this confrontation between the two of them. <laughs> you made me remember you dropped me in the acid. It was pretty hard to settle down after that. Oh, God knows I tried. Still smiling, Batman <laughs> nodded. I made you, and you made me. Made you? How? Long before you were the Joker, you were a small-time hood named Jack Napier, banging innocent victims over the head for a loose change until you made the big time. So? So, one of those victims you banged over the head was my father, and when my mother protested, you did the same to her. You left them dead, and you left me an orphan. I never forgave you, Jack. Even with that facelift, I still recognize you. So, you see, you made me too. So, okay, so one of the reasons why this is a big change is that it implies that Batman has known from the beginning of the movie that this is his parents' killer which now puts a different right. light onto every single action that he takes throughout the entire story. So, like, that's why he singles out Jack so much at Access Chemicals in this version. Not just because he's Grissom's number one guy, but also because he knows that's his parents' killer. That's also why he's so hell-bent on taking on Joker throughout the movie, not just because he's killing innocent people, but because he knows that's his parents' killer. Uh, you've also got... There's a few fan theories on 89 on the part where Jack is about to fall into the chemicals and Batman catches him. And there's sort of a shot of Keaton sort of just looking intensely at him. And people wonder, like, does Batman recognize Jack in that moment? Does he actually let Jack go or does Jack actually slip in that? I don't think it's intended to be that ambiguous, but I can see why people are reading into it, especially with this version of the audiobook presenting the idea that Bruce has always known from the beginning. So right. uh, that's a big fundamental change. It's also kind of funny. <laughs> It's, it's funny how they phrased it in the script where it's basically just like, you banged my father, and so I'm going to uh, take you down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> just very Bang. much all the exposition just thrown out there. Uh, all that Because it's like, <laughs> we didn't have room for the flashback, so we're just going to have Batman explain the entire plot to us at the end. It's just funny. It says banged. Yes. Uh, why not just use the word shot? But all right. Yeah, no. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's one change. And the other change comes from the ending with uh, Vicky Vale. So I'm going to play the uh, the clip here because, again, it cuts the previous scene of Vicky being let into the Batcave or figuring out Bruce's identity. So the audiobook has a different take on the ending here. Call it feminine intuition. Call it love. But somewhere deep inside her, Vicky discovered she knew Bruce Wayne's secret after all. So Vicky doesn't figure out that Bruce is Batman until she gets into the car in the very last scene in this audiobook. Again, okay. changing everything else that came before it, because now that means that Vicky does not know that Bruce is Batman throughout the entire cathedral fight uh, in the finale. So again, this is these are interesting changes that they made that changed the story, probably because they're just like, Roddy, you only have an hour and a half. So yeah, it's abridged. Yeah, yeah, extremely abridged to the point that it changes it changes the story. It's not just a shortened version, but it's, it's actually has alternate stuff in it. 
And so it either comes down to a script that someone else wrote for the specific audiobook, or as you said, Roddy McDowell's just really good at improv. <laughs> it was just like, you know what? Let's cut this stuff out. Good. <laughs> and just do this other stuff. Or he's so. working in tandem with Warren Scarry. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, the reluctant type. <laughs> Reluctantly typing <laughs> on his typewriter. Banged over the head. So... <laughs> Roddy's right, just going with it. <laughs> Whatever, this is doing two minutes. Yeah, so... exactly. <laughs> exactly. Should have thought of better phrasing earlier. So, yeah, yeah. Those, are the, those are the major moments in the Batman 89 audiobook. There are only two other audiobooks of the novelizations, I believe out there in terms of novelizations for the movies. So the Batman Returns novelization is also written by Craig Shaw Gardner. It is narrated by Michael Murphy, who played the mayor in Batman Returns. So they actually got somebody from the cast to uh, read off that book. Uh, I have I will report back on whether or not that has huge fundamental differences as well, but I suspect not just because, <laughs> again, there's just, 89 just went through so many different script rewrites, even on set with Warren Scarer, and we've joked about that. Yes, th- yes. That's probably what, why that happened. Uh, and then... <laughs> Love it. Batman Forever's novelization was written by <laughs> Peter David and is narrated by the late René Abourgenois, who played Dr. Burton, who's the head of Doctor, uh, who's the head doctor at Arkham Asylum in Batman Forever. And I have heard that one, and that one is just an abridged version. It does not have alternate shit in there that's different from the book, at least the last time that I heard it. So uh, not quite as interesting. Do you want to get nuts? <laughs> that's Let's unfortunately not it. get nuts. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> you know what I was just saying? And to the scare, and the scare is just smoking on a cigar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's passed out on the couch. <laughs> he's had a, a long bender. Scarin you know is Steve- high on cocaine while McDowell is just like sipping on wine. The, the, the story is that uh, Stephen King had a coke bender over a weekend and woke up with a finished Cujo. Jesus. Gotta yeah, he wrote. He does not remember writing Cujo. <laughs> I think he, he woke up from his desk, had a bloody nose. <laughs> And Cujo was there. <laughs> Cujo was born. <laughs> yeah. St- St- Stephen King at least used to do that. I don't know. Probably doesn't anymore, but. <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is crazy, man. <laughs> so that is pretty much the uh, the Batman 89 audiobook. Uh, the, the main stuff that we're covering. You guys can check that out. It is available on Audible. I did find that out. Uh, so check that out if you can. And uh, in the meantime, we do have a whole other half of this episode devoted to the novelization, other things that were cut from the previous one. So if you want to you want to listen to those, stick around after the break. Hello, my name's Jonathan Dunn, host of the O3C podcast. Every week I'm joined by my two best gaming buddies, Chris and Minty, and we talk about the games we're playing, the games we love, and how they rank alongside our sacrosanct top 100 favorite video games of all time lists. Deep dives into gaming mechanics, history and lore abound, all topped off with lashings of irreverent wry British wit, witterings and wisdom. For details on the show and more, head to o3c.games and tune in every Monday on the HyperX Podcast Network. Do you love Japan and video games? Well, so do we! We're Kinsey and Mark from Kyoto Indie Dev's Chuhai Labs. Join us twice monthly for games, silly Japan news, and all-around nonsense. We stink at making commercials. <laughs> we f***ing got this one, bro. Be sure to stop by the Chu High Labs Discord to chat about our games or ask us questions. Chu High Labs and the Nasty Labs Podcast. We're legally the best.
Fight inflation the old-fashioned way by spending less money. Check out the HyperX store at Amazon.com to find great Prime Day deals on July 12th and 13th. Stock up on new gaming gear so you'll be equipped for the new launches and content drops. Mark your calendars and set your alarms. Deals like this won't stick around long. It's officially summertime and everybody talks about looking good for the warmer months, but few have the balls to do it. Well, it's time to nut up or shut up and take the easiest step to looking sexy this summer by using Manscaped. Manscaped's ultra smooth package makes sure you have the proper care for down there. And their Boxers 2.0 gives you the perfect stage to show off the new look. These products make you look hot, but your cleanly shaved nethers will keep you cool. And the Boxers 2.0 patented jewel pouch, trademark, technology, will keep your boys from turning any beach day into a swamp day. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com using the code JohnsonsBallsack. Yes, manscaped.com slash JohnsonsBallsack. The ultra smooth package is specialized three-step groin shaving kit to help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas. I'm talking crop shaver razor, crop exfoliator, and crop gel. This kit is the perfect polish to make your family jewels shine. Step one, crop exfoliator. Infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed. The crop exfoliator can help you reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. Step two, crop gel. See where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. It's called your delicate area for a reason. This is one place you do not want to go in blind. Step three, it's time to shave. The crop shaver, trademark, was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. This razor has three precision blades that include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. To top it off, all three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands and without compromise. Once you have your hog in prize-worthy condition, grab yourself a pair of the Manscaped Boxers 2.0. They are ultra-soft, moisture-wicking, cooling, anti-chafing, masterpieces fit for a king and made for your royal scepter. I should know, I'm wearing them right now. So, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code JohnsonsBallsack at manscaped.com. There are so few perfect summer days. Don't let hot, sweaty balls ruin them. Stay fresh, clean, and smelling good with Manscaped. Prime Day is coming. Check out the HyperX store on Amazon.com to find great Prime Day deals on July 12th and 13th. Stock up on the latest gaming gear from HyperX so you'll be ready for all the new launches and content drops this summer. Mark your calendars and set your alarms. Deals like this won't be around long. You're listening to superhero stuff you should know. And welcome back to the show. And we've kind of made this a secret part two episode covering the little details added by Craig Shaw Gardner in the Batman 89 novelization. So we just can't get enough of the novelization and an audiobook on this podcast. So here we go. This guy uh, just looks, reminds me of Rod Serling. Like he he's does, doesn't the, it? The Twilight Zone spiel or whatever. 
Yeah. Except Welcome in his access. To the Batman yes. world. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, let's go into some of the little details that Craig Gardner adds that I just didn't think were big enough to, to put into the previous episode. So uh, in the beginning of the movie, there's the Taurus family that's lost. They encounter this prostitute who tries to proposition the boy. In the book, just to show how dirty and corrupt Gotham is, Gardner adds that uh, she is 14 years old. So Whoa. it just kind of adds the icky uh, feeling to that. kind of makes it uh, the seedy Gotham uh, part of it. So uh, that's an interesting detail that he adds. Uh, this guy, one of the muggers, who's named Eddie in the script and novelization, uh, it, just to add further irony, he's wearing a shirt that says, I love Gotham City, like I heart Gotham City on a that's T-shirt. Awesome. So I thought that was an interesting irony. That's from the Sam Ham script, but it's cool to see it in the novelization. And mm-hmm. then another cool detail that carries over from script to book, but not script to screen, is that, you know, in the movie, Batman throws the batarang at one of the guys, uh, Nick, this other mugger. He falls and he's not able to get his gun. But in the book, when Batman grabs him, he's still got the gun, but his eyes are shut and he's terrified of this giant bat. And he's so scared that he just keeps firing until there's nothing left. And even then, he just goes click, 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 just trying blindly to, to shoot at what's there. That's how terrified and fucking scared this guy is. So uh, that's awesome. And then later when the cops drag him away, uh, in the movie, he's just like, I tell you, man, a giant bat. But then he adds in the novelization, he says, he wanted me to do him a favor. So <laughs> ties into what we, uh, to, uh, what we have at the end of our episodes. So uh, there's also a lot more added to the scene at Harvey Dent's opening speech from Gordon's perspective. Gordon notices Bruce Wayne's absence because uh, in this image we have here, the seat next to Gordon is empty. It's supposed to be for Bruce Wayne. And uh, Gordon's actually very surprised by that because he says, quote, Bruce worked as hard as anybody here to get Dent elected and that he wishes there were other dependable millionaire playboys who could contribute as much to the city. <clears throat> so that's, that's in the 89 uh, novelization. And confirms that Bruce in this film sort of predates other versions like Batman the Animated Series and The Dark Knight in like supporting Harvey Dent's campaign to be uh, district attorney of Gotham. So I thought that was a cool bit. Uh, Gordon also notices other random people in the audience who are big people in Gotham. Uh, One is named Estevez. Another is O'Neill, as in Denny O'Neill. And then there are two others, one named Cleveland and the other named Brown, which I thought was kind of funny. So... Okay. Uh, thanks, well Dan, for pulling these up. Show. <laughs> yeah, well before the show. Uh, Craig Shaw Gardner also has a beat where the audience applauds for Gordon, and he's uncomfortable with how much public attention he gets. So again, there's a lot of character depth to Gordon in this book that we just did not get from the movies because he did did not have enough uh, screen time for that. So mm-hmm. unfortunate. Uh, next is Jack Napier's introduction. Uh, there's a little again, just little character things in here. So here he says that. You know, Alicia, uh, basically Grissom's girlfriend, uh, is somebody whose apartment is just full of expensive gifts that the boss gave her, and Jack hates it. <laughs> he just thinks that it's just covered in junk. And uh, <laughs> he jokes that the only thing that she has great taste in is, is men because she's sleeping with him. So, like, that's <laughs> it's, it's cool, kind of a fun thing that Gardner adds in terms of characterization in the narration. That's why this is worth reading, you know? Like, it, you can read the deleted scenes in the script, but you're not going to get this type of stuff in the script. Right. Uh, it also says that Alicia w- is wearing a skimpy black negligee, which is definitely not what Jerry Hall was wearing in the scene. Yeah. And um, another character moment is Jack notices a scuff on his shoes. And uh, I think he's more disturbed about 
that than uh, anything uh, <laughs> anything to do of her in that moment. So again, just goes to show how full of himself this guy is. Uh, next scene after that is the scene where Knox talks to Eckhart. Another difference between the movie and the book is that in the movie, Knox bribes a cop to get him onto the crime scene, while in the novel, Knox sort of tries to keep himself inconspicuous, but he's not Batman. He's not as good as hiding in the shadows, so Eckhart sees him immediately <laughs> and spots him anyway. Hmm. Uh, it also says at the end of the chapter that Knox thinks that, this is a kind of a weird beat from Gardner, he says that Batman will be better known than Pee Wee Herman. Interesting comparison. <laughs> uh, also Tim interesting Burton. is... <laughs> yeah, probably because of the, the several connections, right? We've got Tim Burton doing Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which also stars Darla the Poodle, who we talked about last week, who oh, uh, right. started, yeah. got her, her fur dyed pink for that role. Uh and then got shaved and had to wear a wig. So uh, check that out in our Batman Returns 30th anniversary event episode. But, uh, you know, Paul Rubens himself, Pee Wee Herman, becomes part of the Batman franchise. He's Penguin's dad in both Batman Returns and Gotham. And he's the voice of Batmite in Batman the Brave and the Bold. Uh, so that's another thing. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, now the novelization and the script say that Bob has a last name. His full name is Bob Hawkins. Uh, so that's in there. That's in the shooting script. Uh, and then there are claims that Lieutenant Eckhart's first name is Max, but that's not in the script, nor novelization, nor the movie. So that feels made up to me. Uh, but this confrontation with uh, Jack and Eckhart is a little different. Eckhart seems a little bolder in the book than in the movie. In the moon movie, he's mainly talk. While in the book, he actually grabs Jack by the coat. And Jack's like, hey, watch the suit. Because again, <laughs> this guy's full of himself. Um, and Jack also does catch Eckhart smiling to himself before he walks away, but he doesn't know why, because he doesn't know that Eckhart is setting him up. So again, little small details that I really like. Um, one thing that Gardner adds that's kind of a bigger thing is a major subplot. Well, not major, but like a, he, he turns the mayor's role into more of a subplot. He gives the mayor a little bit more of a characterization. So, uh, he basically says that the, this mayor is a very boisterous dude, really passionate about the city, uh, and, you know, in this scene here that we have here, he's he's spending all day taking Gordon and Denton around to show, you know, to different float manufacturers for the big celebration, even though that really doesn't have much to do with their jobs. And uh, <laughs> Gordon doesn't really like the mayor that much. And he just feels like the mayor is the type to, like, feel like all he has to do is just, quote, unquote, raise his voice and he'll outshout any logic against him. So that's kind of how the mayor starts off. And then later on, when, you know, in that deleted sequence, when the Joker comes and hijacks the celebration and has his own Joker statue, uh, the mayor is like very affected by this. It says that he is no longer able to boisterously talk about anything anymore in public. And Gordon actually feels very sorry for him. And then by the end, the mayor has a complete breakdown muttering about the death of God Gotham city and Harvey Dent has to take over the entire thing. So that's, mm -hmm. that seems like it's completely done in Gardner's book. That is not in the, the scripts that I could remember. So an interesting thing that he adds to this. Part of it, I think, is because when you're tasked with having to write a novelization, uh, he's, he's brought up a good point. You have about 120 pages of a script, but your book has to be longer than 120 pages. So you have to add a lot of shit in order to sort of expand yes. it out, get your money's worth. Otherwise, why are you reading this? You know? Yeah, we've uh, said several times that <clears throat> scripts are very bare bones a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I also think it's... Novelizations, I feel like they started, this is at least true for Doctor Who, where uh, they start because home 
video or home purchase wasn't always a thing. So, like, how do you re-experience it? So, like, for, for Doctor Who, they wouldn't necessarily do reruns of the old episodes, or they wouldn't have them available on, obviously, streaming or or uh, DVD or Blu-ray or home release. So how would you re-experience something that you saw uh, or a story arc that happened a couple of years ago? You would pick up the novelization for it. So it was kind of a, a, a written recap in some ways for some people. And because a lot of times it was written after the scripts, sometimes writers, as we see here, would add in kind of their own thing to that. So uh, that sort of explains why there's so much of this here. So... Uh, Moving further into the party, Vicky's perspective of the party is fleshed out too. She actually helps Alfred when glasses are about to spill from his tray, which I thought was okay. kind of cool on that. Though Alfred doesn't seem like the type who's going to run himself into that type of situation, I would say, but it's still kind of cool. Uh, Vicky also likes Bruce's little lost, little boy lost demeanor, as it's described here, and finds it endearing. Um <laughs> He's and, a, he does come across as like aloof. Like you don't. Yeah, exactly. We talked about this with Valerie Ray Miller, actually. Like, oh yeah, his Keaton's Bruce. You really do feel like there's something else there, but you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he plays it is great, and you know Val Kilmer kind of had that too. He's got a I bit think. of it. Yeah, with, yeah, with a little bit more of the traditional <clears throat> Bruce Wayne mixed in. Yeah, tr- yeah, a little bit more traditional. Yeah, there's just always something a little bit, you know, looking back kind of odd about his Bruce Wayne, but in a good way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Uh, another thing that I thought you would find interesting. So the part where Knox says, where does this come from? And Bruce says, it's Japanese. Mm-hmm. In the book, he's actually pointing at a Japanese sword, not at the armor, oh, cool. uh, which is interesting. Uh, I think these days, when we look at 89, we look at the armor and we're just like, well, obviously it's Japanese, but it's kind of like what you said, where like at that time, not everybody knew that or could even travel to Japan in the same way that we can now. So it's just kind of more evidence of the times, right? Yeah, especially in the late 80s. At this point, you know, it's probably just my friend group or something, but, you know, I know a lot of people that have been in Japan at this point. You don't have to be a billionaire, Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne, to do that, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, I remember hearing that in the 90s, more people visited Tunisia than Japan. And then by the time you get to the late 2000s, the 2010s, Japan was one of the top, you know, vacation spots in the world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's been, you know, quite a change in that department. Though I would years. say uh, being able to buy a samurai armor and get it shipped over to your house mm. is still something that, you know, not the average person who goes to Japan would be able to afford to do either. So depends on how good the sword is. But yeah, you're talking uh, true. Yeah. the real historical relics. He, this is basically a museum in, in his house, right? So he's yeah. these pieces, you know, they're tens of thousands, more, hundreds of thousands of dollars probably. Mm-hmm. Some katanas probably are a hundred grand or more, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a million, depending on what it is. Yeah. So yeah, that part's still out of reach for most people. But yeah. <laughs> but going to going to Japan, yes, is in reach for many more people than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Except for right now, at the time of this recording, because of COVID, that's another <laughs> story. Down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I had a friend who was just like, oh, I should go. It's so cheap. And then he looked into why it was cheap. And I'm like, oh, it's because it's closed <laughs> to all of us. So never mind. Yeah. Yeah. So. So it sucks right now. But oh, anyway. well. Uh, so the Axis chemical sequence is written from Jack Napier's perspective, which is kind of cool. It sort of shows the evolution of him becoming Jack, um, going from being Jack to being the Joker, even before he goes into the chemicals. So um, there's a few details in it. It talks about how he takes out the the guards of Axis chemicals before he goes in. It also says that he, uh, as he's running away from the cops during the whole sequence, he thinks, you know, he sort of sings Jack be nimble, Jack be quick to himself as he's running. Uh, oh, wow. And how he he likes those types of sayings, which is why he likes "Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight?" Like that type mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, it also says that he thinks about how Grissom and the cops are out to get him, and how he's out to get Grissom, and how quote Jack decided it was never a game. Now it was all one big, never-ending joke. So <laughs> it's the evolution into the Joker mentality at this point. Um, and then when Jack fires on Batman, it's and it's something kind of foreshadowing of how Batman's cape in forever. Uh, could be fireproof. Batman uses the cape actually rather than his gauntlet to cause the bullet to ricochet into Jack. That's cool. So that's cool. Though I think both of us prefer the gauntlet at that point. So I like the gauntlet, but bulletproof yeah. cape is cool. That is still cool. Yeah. Seems to m- more more of a shield. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, after Access Chemicals, we get a little bit more of Knox. So this guy, I'm sure, is Bob the cartoonist. It, he's the one who does the whole, you know, caricature. Have you seen this man? This bat with the Batman in the suit. It is supposedly meant, it was supposedly meant to be Bob Kane's cameo, but oh, the legend, yeah. yeah uh, the legend is that um, he was like sick and he couldn't make it. So they got this actor to play it. And also kind of funny because when Knox hands it back to Bob, he's just like, what a dick to him. So imagine <laughs> if that was in the, the movie, we were calling that to Bob Kane. So uh, not, but, not entirely inaccurate. <laughs> Indeed. In many ways. <laughs> what a dick. So, um, in the novelization, Bob or Bob Kane actually comes back with another drawing after Access Chemicals. I'm not really sure at this point, though, why he'd still be teasing Knox, because after Access Chemicals, it's pretty clear that Batman exists, but maybe there's still some uh, speculation or, or some people still doubting that. So, maybe that's why. Uh, and then Knox, of course, finds out that Vicky is dating Bruce Wayne and he gets jealous. And so there's an added bit that's not in the movie where he calls around to try to get dirt on Bruce. So that's in there. Uh, the novelization also has another side character who's kind of a little bit more fleshed out. And that's the surgeon. You see what I have to work with. <laughs> uh, so in the sequence where Jack's bandages gets taken off and he discovers he's the Joker, Gardner adds that this guy's name is Dr. Davis. So he gave him an actual name in this. He's just known as like okay. a surgeon in the in the script and stuff. So it's kind of cool. It also says that Jack goes to him because he was the guy he would always go to in the past when he was shot. So uh, kind of a cool little detail there that there's a sort of pre-established relationship, partnership going on between the two of them uh, back when he was Jack Napier. And then uh, as he leaves, Joker thinks, quote, the joke wasn't over yet. It was just beginning. So uh, again, really cool ways of showing the evolution of Joker through his head. And then the novelization has the death of Grissom, but he tells it much differently. So here I'm showing the visual that we both like of the Joker where the hat is pulled down so much that it covers his eyes, and he's even wearing like sunglasses in this. Mm-hmm. And he's got the scarf. This is the Tim Burton concept art. Uh, in the book, it describes that Joker is actually wearing this. He's got the the big hat and the scarf, and oh, you nice. barely see his face. And uh, 
it's also got kind of the reverse of the blocking that we have in the movie. So in the movie, Grissom is by the desk and Joker is walking towards him. In the book, Joke, you know, Grissom steps out and he sees Joker's already at his desk. And so Grissom has to walk towards him. And there's added tension because Gardner says that Grissom knows that he's in danger because Jack's there. But there's a gun at the desk. And if he can get to the gun, then he can shoot Jack. And, and so um, after Jack pulls off the, the hat and everything and reveals himself as the Joker... Grissom tries to lunge towards the desk and grab his gun, and Joker shoots him to death from there. So kind of, it's an added ticking bomb to the scene, which I thought mm-hmm. was cool. Um, cool. It also is Craigshaw Gardner noticing that in the movie, Joker says, you know, have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. Except he never says that in the movie before that scene. So Gardner <laughs> tries to fill in the that fact and brings up that, oh, Joker didn't have time to say it because... Grissom was lunging for his gun, and so he kind of regrets not being able to say that to Grissom. Uh, so I thought that was kind of an interesting way for him to sort of acknowledge that, uh, sort of have an idea of explaining why he doesn't bring that up in earlier instances of the movie. So that's cool. Uh, and then in the scene where Joker talks to the mobsters, the mobster who challenges him is named Carmine Rotelli as opposed to Antoine Rotelli. So this is something that we talked about in the Carmine Falcone uh, deep dive in the Patreon, but uh, contrary to popular belief, this is not a Carmine Falcone reference in the script or the novelization. Uh, Falcone was introduced in year one, but he wasn't even named Carmine until the Long Halloween, which was in the li- in the nineties. So I think Sam Ham just named a Carmine just because it's a it's cool Italian mobster name. Maybe not even mm-hmm. a reference to Carmine Infantino, the name of consequence. <laughs> name but of consequence. Maybe it is. Yes. yes. Maybe so much consequence that it wasn't realistic for Joker to kill him like this. That is true. So what's uh, what is in the background? This drawing. <laughs> I think I think that is uh, actually I don't know, but it does it does look like a woman's breast, doesn't it? <laughs> Being covered by some sort of shroud, just with a really large nipple. I think that if I remember correctly, they kind of cover this up somehow. <laughs> In the made-for-TV version, or not really? made for, but the TV version or something. Huh. Yeah, because, you know, if if memory serves correctly, there's something going on there. Huh. Yeah. Well, I, I next deep look. dive, everybody. <laughs> what is in the background? Is it boobies or not? <laughs> Two, and <laughs> Two, and Two and a half hours. Two and a half hour episode. <laughs> uh, so, in terms of the reason why it was not Carmine in the movie... Uh, Anton first has a story that he tells in, in a lecture from like 1990 where uh, Jack Nicholson saw first get mad at a crew member on the set and uh, Jack Nicholson in the scene said, you know, Anton or Antoine got a little hot under the collar sort of as a tribute to Anton first. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why it got changed on the day of. And, you know, you're not going to tell Jack Nicholson, well, you got to say it's Carmine. This is like, no, it's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Let him run He's with like- this. What does that matter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's sort of the big explanation of, of this guy, uh, who's more known for being a skeleton than any sort of Falcone uh, <laughs> connection, but we might as well cover all our bases here. I'm uh, glad so you did. I'm glad you did. Uh, also, uh, let's see. In terms of music, we have a few interesting beats here. So the novelization, like the script, specifies that uh, Joker puts on the song put on a happy face in the background of his commercial. I feel like they didn't do it in the movie because maybe they didn't get the copyright or something like that. Mm. Um, So that's not in it. And then Prince's music does not make it into the novel. 
Uh, it's just Gardner, maybe because it wasn't written or he hadn't heard it at the time, so he didn't know. Uh, so Gardner just writes boom shaka laka laka like over and over again as the background. Oh my god! In both here and in the parade sequence, so there is no party man, no trust. It's just boom shaka laka laka for was both. Boom shaka laka a late eighties thing? I thought it was a mid nineties thing. Uh, clearly, something was around beforehand, or maybe it came from Craig Shaw Gardner. I, I don't doubt know. that. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with the Batman eighty nine novelization. <laughs> <laughs> and that is superhero stuff you should know. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. Yes. Uh, Joker storms the museum in this sequence that we have here. Um, it's a little different. Apparently, he uses explosives to blow off the doors as opposed to just walking through. Kind of cool. And then uh, the thug carrying the boom box is named Steve Arino in the novelization. Steve Arino. <laughs> well, in the movie, it's Lawrence. I covered oh, Lawrence good a little old bit. Lawrence. Yeah. I'm sorry so. I confused you for Bob the Goon. I'll never do it again, Lawrence. <laughs> so Lawrence did make it into the Batman 89 comic series. Uh, Bob did not because Bob's been dead since 89. So uh, that's <laughs> the end of him. But Lawrence has survived. R.I.P. Bob. <laughs> Dude, Bob, Bob, Bob the Goon Funko. Did we t- cover this? Does that exist? Uh, we asked if it exists. Nobody chimed in. Let me look it up. I have a feeling it does Man. not exist. Bob I would, the Goon Funko. I, if, as long as it's like below $20, I would buy a Bob the Goon Funko right now. It is on eBay for $49.99. It's a custom, I think. It's going to be a no. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but yeah. I <laughs> the think only it's a reason custom, I get yeah. Funkos is because they're at that <laughs> under 20 price point. They really get me. Well, the anybody. Rest of America. Anyone who uh, wants to. Send us a little something for the holidays. <laughs> Get Andrew a Bob Lagoon Funko for about 50 bucks. On, no, uh, on no, no. Only if it's under 20. <laughs> Don't give me that. Uh, yeah, use that money to contribute to Patreon instead. I, I admire the gumption and the gusto <laughs> for that guy or, per, or girl or... Whoever or, made uh, it, yeah. Whoever made it, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad yeah. it exists. Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, in the book, it also says Joker carves a Joker smile into the blue boy. And then in the movie, Bob tries to carve up a Francis Bacon piece before Joker's like, I like this. I kind of like this one, Bob. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the novelization, as well as I think in the script, it's actually the screen, uh, which makes oh, sense. Wow. Um, again, I'm not really sure why they changed that. Uh, maybe it would have been a rights issue, issue too. I don't know. I don't know if there's rights issues with I know, classic right? art, though. Yeah, I feel like I that's public domain. It's probably public domain. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I don't know why. I guess, I guess the the one that's in the movie is it more modern art? It's more modern, yeah. So maybe that's probably why. Yeah, because there's not really any. Well, I mean, there's like a Rembrandt, I think, that's in there at some point. So I don't know. Not not Weird. featured though, right? That one's featured. Uh, it's featured in the sense that like it's like they put paint over it, I think. But this one, this one is like featured, featured because they actually they have a conversation it. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess that's why. That's why they got the Francis Bacon one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also says yeah. Bob. Bob yeah. decides to ruin a Jackson Pollock instead, maybe to put paint over it. In which case, Joker feels like Jackson Pollock seems kind of pointless in terms of trying to cover that in paint. They were doing splotches already, so no offense yeah. to Jackson Pollock. <laughs> but, but, you uh, know. <laughs> seems like this is going to contribute to what his original plan was rather than ruin anything. 
So uh, that's in the museum. And then later on, the Batmobile gets foiled during the chase because of a construction crew. In the book, it sort of adds to the thread of this 200th anniversary celebration in the sense that the construction crew is preparing for the 200th anniversary celebration. So that's cool. And then Batman specifically tells Vicky that they have to go on foot because there are too many people around. I kind of like the anniversary of Gotham in story in that universe. Yeah. In that universe. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, in, uh, there's some dialogue in the descent, uh, into mystery sequence outside of where are we going? Um, that I'm, I'm glad we got what we got, but in the original script in the novel, Vicky turns to Batman and says, this is kidnapping. And Batman just says, looks like it. <laughs> Again, just silent Keaton the whole time, plus the elephant music. That's what makes that sequence. I, I just don't think that would have worked as well. Uh, in yeah. this, especially with him yeah. just acknowledging that he's just flat out kidnapping her. You know? Uh, yeah. He also, it does say that he's got that light that shines right in her face so she doesn't look at his face, but also... He presses a button to make her side of the windshield opaque so she can't even see out of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's he's kind of mile. a... What a dick. So, yeah. uh, one weird moment in the script and the book is the way that Vicky figures out that Bruce is Batman. Uh, in both versions, Vicky, in the beginning, in her date, finds out that Bruce has just turned 35. And then, when she finds out that Thomas Wayne died uh, and was gunned down, she finds out that his age, when he was killed, was 35. Somehow, this leads her to connect that Bruce is Batman. <laughs> wow. Since he has okay. the, he's the same age when his parents died. This is world's greatest detective shit. Vicky wow. Vale. Uh, <laughs> um, Incredible. This is some John Blake shit. So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I do like the idea of Bruce approaching a time where he is about to outlive his father. You know, kind of, it's that line in BVS when Affleck mm. says, I'm older now than my father ever was. I'm like, you know, that's an interesting thing that he could be going through emotionally. So I do like that. But as a method for her figuring out Bruce's Batman, it's just like, I, that's weird. You don't need that. I'm glad it was cut. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there is uh, some details to the flashback of the Wayne murders. It identifies that it's the summertime, possibly keeping with the 1980s comic, The Player on the Other Side, which said that the date of the Wayne murders was June 26th. So that could play a role in it. It also mm. has a part where Batman can't remember the play that they saw before they were killed, confirming that it was a play. That Footlight Frenzy, the poster we see outside the Monarch Theater. I think we did a surprise deep dive or something in like a, a Patreon. On the but, show times, on yeah. the posters and <laughs> yeah. shit. It showed that it was a play. And in real life, it was a play. So they actually went to the theater, predating uh, Nolan's version, where they went to see the opera. So uh, that's some interesting details in here. Uh, also, at some point in the movie... Keaton is looking at a map and has a circle around access chemicals. Uh, in the book, there's a little bit more to that. It says that Bruce is working night and day. He has to drink a ton of coffee to keep himself awake. Uh, and uh, he has this map with locations marked, but he's trying to figure out where Joker's secret factory is. He does not figure out, uh, he hasn't figured out yet at that point that it's access chemicals until later on. Funny enough, neither the book nor the movie actually cover how he figures out that Joker's operating out of Axis Chemicals, but I guess if you have a random abandoned chemical factory that Jack Napier is already familiar with, you don't have to be the world's greatest detective to figure that out. Right. So, uh, you know, maybe you needed Vicki Vale to figure that out, considering how good of a detective she is in this version of, of events. <laughs> She's on the case, man. Yeah. It's like, clearly it's Axis Chemicals. journalist. <laughs> yeah. You're 35, your dad was 35, you're Batman. So, <laughs> I don't even need to match the jaws. 
that, that's Warren Skarin's uh, contribution in the script. That was not the original Sam Hand. That's him. That's him typing in his cocaine fueled <laughs> haze, being like, "God damn it, they're both thirty-five. That's yeah, how that yeah, happens." Yeah, that's good uh, enough. <laughs> so once he figures out that it's Access Chemicals, and he figures out that Joker killed his parents, it says that he no longer needs the coffee. It says, "Quote." He had been only half awake for the longest time, really. Now that he had the answer, everything fell into place. He no longer needed to sleep. All his fatigue was gone. His weaknesses were gotten. It was nighttime. Bats went out at night. So, pretty cool. Great prose mm-hmm. there from, Gar- from Gardner. Uh, so, Batman crashes uh, into the Axis chemicals with the Batmobile in the movie. In the book, he's a little nicer about it. He waits for the gates to open for a truck to come out before he sends the Batmobile through. So I'm like, that's an interesting beat. Um, Also, this is kind of funny, but uh, when the Batmobile pulls up to him, it says that Batman pats the fender of the Batmobile as if to say, like, good boy, (laughs) when it comes back. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting. Uh, In the movie, uh, Joker tries to stop the Joker henchman and helps bring one of the balloons up, and then Batman passes by in the Batwing. I I know what the intentions were for this, but it wasn't really until I read the scripts and the novelization that I realized what is actually supposed to happen here. So okay. in the movie, it just seems like, okay, Knox tries to be the hero. He succeeds in getting one of the balloons up, and then he gets chased by the henchman, and he can't do much more. In what's really supposed to happen is that uh, Knox brings up, you know, he lets one of the balloons loose, deliberately so that Batman can see that there's gas coming out of it from the Batwing. Batwing pa- so Batman passes by in the Batwing, sees the gas coming back, and says, ah, I need to take out the balloons. Uh, and so it, it sort of doesn't have that super clear in the movie because you don't really see him deducing anything. He kind of just passes by, and it seems like he's going to take out the balloons anyway. So uh, to me, that was an interesting beat to discover uh, in terms of, it, it gives Knox a bigger role in, in this plot because it just seemed to me as a kid like, oh, Knox tries to play hero, you know, good for him, that type of thing. It didn't seem mm-hmm. like he played that big of a role. And, but here it actually, especially in other versions where Knox was like trying to blackmail that Bruce Wayne was Batman, all that stuff. It was kind of a nice little mini redemption arc as mm-hmm. well. So that was cool. Uh, so Gordon only has 26 policemen, as we talked about in the novelization, and uh, they approach the tower and Batman has locked the door's behind him, and uh, Gordon has to have them break down the cathedral door. So there is no sequence of Gordon trying to move a bell by himself, like our guest Rob Ayling <laughs> pointed out that one time. Um, but there's some inner monologue, too, that I thought was cool, where Gordon feels actually like he wishes he could be Batman in some way. Oh, nice. Which I think is a nice character beat that Gordon in some ways can be jealous of Batman in the sense that he's not as tied down to the rules as he is, and he's a younger man, mm. all these other aspects. It's another character aspect that I that I liked about Gardner's prose here. Um, and it shows how conflicted Gordon is at this point in in uh, their relationship. He, he knows Batman's an outlaw, but he's also very tempted to just let Batman do his thing against right. Joker in the cathedral. So uh, they haven't quite met yet. They haven't created the partnership, but they're on their way there. Uh, in the movie, Vicky falls for Joker being like, hey, let me give you a hand. And it turns out to be a fake hand, and she nearly <laughs> falls. Uh, in the book, I think Gardner's trying to explain why she would do that, but Batman actually encourages her to take Joker's hand, saying, like, you know, you know, go save yourself. I can take care of myself. 
Uh, and then she gets fooled by the fake hand. Again, it still feels weird that Batman would think Joker would actually help her, or maybe he just thinks Joker is trying to save her for himself. I don't know, but uh, that's an, it's an interesting moment. Yeah, I mean, he he does, still doesn't know Joker too well, even by this point, right? And also, it's like, might as well try, because we're going to fucking die anyway. Die anyway. So. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. I think that's Gardner's rewrite, but maybe it's in, like, the on-set script that Warren Skirin's writing on a drug-fueled haze. So <laughs> I love see. it, man. And then uh, at <laughs> the end it says... Even though it's probably not the case at all. He's probably it's like, probably not true, yeah. He doesn't no. even do anything. He doesn't even drink, drink He seems probably. like a very straight-laced guy from what I've read about Warren Skirin. But, so. in our, but in our version, that's how he is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then finally at the end it says that Vicky actually kisses Knox for real rather than uh, on the cheek like that. in the movie. <laughs> but I believe to Robert Wool's disappointment that this was changed to her just kissing him in a platonic way, just on the cheek as a goodbye uh, on that, which I think <laughs> he was disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> but probably, yeah. But I mean, I'm just like beat wise. It just it makes more sense. You know, yes. like, why would she do that? So, uh, <laughs> yes, that is, yes, that is our uh, sort of secret part two deep dive into the rest of the novelization. But Warren's like, did I say lips? <laughs> Fuck, I meant cheek. Use your tongue on his cheek. Wait, that might be weird, oh, too. Oh, wait, no, no, Just kiss no. him. <laughs> Sam Hamm's like, I claim no responsibility. <laughs> I killed yeah, him yeah. off in my, in my script. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, but yeah, those are, the, those are the things. So I think, um, I think that, puts a, that puts it all to an end in terms of our dives into the novelization of the 89 version and the, and the audio book. I don't think there's a junior novelization for us to go over. So uh, <laughs> I think that... <laughs> that is our temporary close to the chapter that is Craig Shaw Gardner before we go into uh, Batman Returns uh, in that novelization. But uh, yeah, uh, any any closing thoughts on uh, what you heard today? Uh, you said this like what an hour and a half audiobook? How yeah. long is it? Wow, it's that's a, an hour and a half. Yeah, that's really a bridge. They really wanted to make it the same length as a movie, just about. Yeah, it's, it's the shortest version of the movie, too, because the movie is two hours and six minutes. So I'm like, uh, oh, yeah. So it's even shorter. It's wow, even yeah, shorter. It's yeah. Like, I just figured maybe it's because it's on tape. So they're just like, oh, we only have so much tape, Roddy. So <laughs> they had to cut it down. That's my theory. Which yeah. is why they bridged it so much. Yeah, I know like v- VHS and, and probably cassette tapes were both more expensive to produce than CDs. So mm-hmm. um, that was probably a factor, but I mean, overall it's pretty cool. It seems to capture most of it. Roddy McDowell's voice is great. <laughs> uh, love that quaint uh, British accent. But I, when I was looking for what voice actor he did, I, I did find that he is from London. I don't uh, Herne ah. Hill, mm-hmm. wherever that is. Uh, so, uh, I guess it's a, it's a, one of the London accents. So, uh, that's interesting, but yeah, I mean, it's fine. I love audiobooks. This would be something like if I was, a, if I had been an adult in the eighties, I might've bought, bought this, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, um, I didn't get an audiobooks until after I was already an adult. I didn't buy them really when I was a kid ever really, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was fine. I think it was cool. Yeah. What'd you think? I think uh, it it was it's a weird experience to listen to this audiobook, especially after having read the novelization. But it's 
it's mainly it's mainly worth listening to as an alternate version of the of the movie for the changes we talked about, and it's mainly worth it for hearing Roddy McDowell. But it it's it's not really the best encapsulation of this movie's story, really, because so much is cut. So it's really right, weird when you're just right. like, oh, this, like it just feels like a really abridged version. I, it's a shame that Roddy didn't get to to read the actual unabridged text uh, on that. That's that's kind of my take where I'm like, yeah, like it's kind of cool to have these changes because we have something to talk about for this episode. Uh, but if he did the full thing in like a, you know, three to four hour version of it, I'd love it too. So. Uh, this could be shame. great content for HBO Max. Once again, you get, you know, the writers, the whoever's still around. Are they all still alive? Brady uh, Warren Skarin is not here. Is not with us. He actually Warren, okay. passed the year after 89. Oh, that's right. We covered that. So everybody but him, like, you know, in a room, we pay everybody for a day and they, and everybody kind of reads the script filmed. Well, I don't know, get a good camera crew and put that on uh, HBO Max, you know? Or get uh, them narrating it and then get some other voice actors to come in or Keaton or whatever and just kind of film a... I'm thinking of just cheap content for HBO Max to still be cool. You know, you yeah, can shoot in a day. Mm-hmm. And then you could have the audio version as a, as a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the podcast brain. Mm-hmm. You know, they already do podcasts on it, so why not do that? It's like a script-reading podcast kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That'd be sweet, man. Because yeah. you said you said you wanted the full version, and I'd Roddy love the McDowell. Full version. Yeah, yeah. So you know, is Roddy McDowell still alive? Unfortunately, no. He passed oh, as well. Okay, sad. Well, somebody oh. to narrate. Maybe you know Sam Ham or somebody. But uh, somebody's got to dunk Roddy McDowell in the Lazarus Pit just so he can read the full version for us. I and then he can go Joker. back to sleep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have you ever danced with a devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be cool. That would be that would be cool. That would be cool would content. Be, yeah. Cool content for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but until then, that is superhero stuff you should know. Big thanks to our research assistant, Dan, for gathering the visuals and the sound clips for the YouTube experience and for this podcast. So thank you, Dan, for that. Uh, over to a couple of the fan, uh, fan comments. Uh, we got some long ones, so I actually kept Woo. it to, to only two uh, this time. Okay. Uh, Austin7298 says, Ben, you've mentioned before having written your own screenplay for the 89 film, which you described as your dream version. Is that something you would make available for us to read or possibly go over details of it in a future video? Honestly, Austin, I haven't looked at it <laughs> since I mentioned that on the podcast. It's just not... Uh, between working on my own stuff versus working on some dream compilation thing that... You know, at the time, I wasn't really expecting to show people. Obviously, I prioritized my own stuff, but I wouldn't mind revisiting it as like extra content to show people. So it's I'm I'm open to that. Uh, Austin says I myself have put together something similar. It's not finished. I'm a slow worker, but I ba- well look at me. It's been like three <laughs> years since I mentioned it. Uh, oh, yeah. But it basically took the shooting script and started amending it from there. No real big plot changes, just a bit more fleshing out of the story itself. And it's probably closer to the final film than any of the scripts ever got. No post-apartment horseback scene as cool as that would have been to see. Uh, I was actually kind of shocked to see how many lines the actual film got right that weren't even in any scripts. Uh, I don't particularly like the original 1986 script as a whole, but there were some things that got right. 
one thing from that one I'm adding back in is that Knox and Vicky had history together, mainly because of some of their lines that made it in the film were written with that in mind. Also, the scene where Bruce calls Vicky on the phone is one I really liked and added it back in, but with a different context. And the scene where Joker dresses a crowd of corpses is pure gold. It's a real shame we didn't get to see Nicholson actually performing that one. Austin, uh, Austin, thank you uh, for this. This is a pretty cool uh, sort of uh, little niche that we've carved out for ourselves in terms of trying to copy-paste and come up with like the ultimate versions. I feel like we could totally do this with uh, at least the first three of the 90s Batman. I feel like Batman and Robin, you kind of have to accept that for what it is. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's for this, perfect as it is. It's everybody. perfect. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Uh, but for, for this one, it is, it is interesting because it's just like there are certain things that I think are cool, but also you have to wonder if that really takes away the magic of 89, as I've talked about, you know, kind of like the stuff about the, the mirrored lenses being the reflection of that Nick sees when he looks in, in Batman's eyes. But I'm just like, eh, like you couldn't really pull that off as well during that time. And I'm not even sure if I'd want to see that now. So, it's those types of things, but maybe at some point uh, I'll get to finishing that up and, and sharing that out, and uh, you know we can put that on the show notes of the website or something. So something I'll keep in mind. But thank you, Austin. Uh, next one actually comes from Alec Deacon uh, as a, a tweet to us. You've probably been, but if not, and then tagged us. And this is uh, about the fact that there are Batman Returns props at the Academy Museum in L.A. I, it's so, a mystery to me as to why I have not been here yet. Uh, it's a mystery to me as well. I think we need to plan an outing. Yeah, I think this <laughs> needs to be uh, in the in the works yes. for sure. Yeah, uh, it looks like they got Cobblepot Manor, the miniature that was Cobblepot Manor. They've got the prosthetic nose sculpt for Penguin, and then they've got a matte painting. It looks like of uh, of Gotham City when the Cobblepots took Oswald out. Uh, then, of course, other things that we see here on the right were Fantastic Mr. Fox and Inside Out. Uh, on it, but mm. we're there for Batman Returns. Screw those movies. We're, <laughs> this is not our content. <laughs> our yeah, content is for Batman I mean, Returns. I saw them both, and I always felt like Fantastic... Forgive me, Internet, but I felt like Fantastic Mr. Fox was kind of overrated. It is overrated, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get... Inside Out was like... Inside Out was cool, reminded me of Herman's head. If anybody fucking remembers Herman's head from the 90s, uh, that, you know, uh, with, like, voices in your head talking... Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like Herman's head made for kids. I wonder if it was pitched like that. Um, I thought that was all right. That was, that was pretty good, but it, like it, fantastic fit. Mr. Fox, man. I was like, why is everybody like this so much? Yeah. I was the same. Yeah. So, uh, well, we're definitely got, going to the museum for that, but for Batman returns, yeah. we'll go, we'll capture pictures. We'll, we'll talk about it on it, especially cause it's the 30th anniversary and stuff. There was actually a screening of Batman 89 in 35 millimeter on Sunday, July 3rd. I did not know wow. about it until after the fact, but wow. you know, it, I'm not the type to just go cause it's a screening of a movie I've already seen. If Tim Burton was there, I would definitely have gone. So, <laughs> uh, that's, that's just me on that. That's, that's also why I went to the Batman returns event where I'm just like, Oh, all these people are going to be there. In that case, I'll go to that. But if it's mm-hmm. just the movie, I got that at home. I don't need to go all the way to Hollywood for that. So, uh, but they've got these props there. Uh, they got a whole bunch of other stuff in the movie. So that's that's cool. So, uh, thank you, Alec. Uh, we will cover this at some point. We'll see. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then go ahead. It's one of those things where the city you live in, you forget that there's, you know, uh, touristy things to do. You can still be a tourist in the city you live in. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you know, 
it's just it's become that way. Plus, COVID's made it where you don't want to go anywhere. So, but <laughs> right. yes, yes, do do want to go to to that for sure. Yes, definitely. Uh, so yeah. All right. So thank you for those comments. That's awesome. And thank you, Dan, the man. Mm-hmm. And we want to thank everybody up on the board here, the Patreon board. You made it once again, or you've stayed on it. That's awesome. So yeah, we just want to thank some of our newer comers. So, uh, yeah, let's see who's the, who's new ish. Uh, let's, let's start with Josh M. Thank you, Josh M. Benjamin V. Chris F. Michael S. Metageek. Chuck A. T. W. T. Yuli and Chris R. And we want to thank our other supporters as well up on the board here. Uh, you can get on the board by joining the $1 tier. That gets you that there shout out, uh, either visually or orally uh, <clears throat> or both. Uh, and that's uh, you want to join us at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And the $5 tier gets you the shout out plus a whole other show. This show is every Monday you're watching right now. The $5 tier shows every Friday, deeper dives, discussions, extra content, all the above. Check it out. $5 tier. Cancel anytime. You could pay your five bucks or it looks like four pounds. <laughs> oh, yes. Something like that. <laughs> uh, we get the conversion in our emails. So mm-hmm. uh, something like that. And then uh, <laughs> uh, you could binge the whole thing and then be out. You know, it's mm-hmm. fine. No problem with us. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, and then uh, $10 tier, tier uh, gets you the monthly meetup, uh, which is like you can join a Zoom like call and uh, you, you know, you can talk with us live in like a chat format, like a, you know, just have a chat with us. And we uh, have a topic at hand as well, but it's kind of loose ish. And uh, yeah, you just kind of talk with us. And, uh, of course, if you're the $10 tier, you get all the tiers below that as well. The $1 and $5 tier. Uh, we have our merch, Redbubble and Threadless. So, superhousepod.redbubble.com and superherostuff.threadless.com. Uh, some, you know, we've had some people buy our <laughs> stuff a little bit here recently, which thank is great. Thank you to that one person. <laughs> yes, thank you. We do want to update some of this art here eventually. Um so uh but yes thank you that's awesome the artwork is by stefan santa cruz and uh also please send us an audio clip to superhousepodcast at gmail.com i'm thunderwolf drew on instagram and twitter thunderwolf lives on youtube thunderwolfdrew.com is all my stuff except for amonorecon.com that's a-m-a-n-o-r-e-c-o-n.com think r-rated stranger things meets power rangers uh it's not a fan film original idea uh we have a campaign video in the works at the moment uh it's gonna be i'll let you know that that campaign video is gonna be like four minutes there's a 17 second teaser already on amanorecon.com already Mm -hmm. so check that out you get an idea of the quality there poster by zach and it's coming we're gonna do some film fest first probably to get more exposure and then this campaign video will be a campaign for Indiegogo, which is to get funding to shoot a pilot, which would be like 23 minutes. So 17 seconds, mm-hmm. four minutes, 23 minutes. That's the plan. All right, Ben. <laughs> nice. Uh, shout out to Comic Capital on Instagram, as well as the Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse. Uh, you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Superhouse Pod, Instagram, Superhero Stuff Pod, TikTok, Superhero Stuff Pod, and Vero. Superhero Stuff Pod. 
My website is benwanrider.com, where you can read my Gotham script, Gotham Vampire, Young Bruce Faces Off Against the Golden Age Villain, The Mad Monk, as well as, as, well as my spec script for Elementary, The Death of Sherlock Holmes, a modern update on the classic story, The Adventure of the Dying Detective, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland, the Curb episode they could never make, Larry David goes to Disneyland, and complete chaos ensues. So uh, my YouTube channel is in the description <laughs> below, where you can also check out uh, Doctor Who, The Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, narrate, and edit, where uh, basically the Eighth Doctor gets to go to where Bruce, you know, Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, got to go, which is Japan, except he gets to go to ancient Japan and meet Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, he doesn't my personal... go to that uh, dental clinic? He doesn't go to the dental clinic. It does, it does not exist okay. at that point. <laughs> yes. Uh, Just my, wondering. My personal Instagram is Ben Juan Ryder. My son's Instagram, my cat, is Alfie Pennyworth Cat. And if you have an Alfie or Peanut or any other cat, you can get the Whisker Box, the only cat box with a crazy cat lady and gent. And if you don't have a cat but you have a dog, that's cool too because you can get the Bark Box, y'all. Give your dog exactly what they want using our promo code. Get the first month off free, valued at $35. And that is a promo code you can get at SuperheroStuffPod.com slash shop. You can get all sorts of stuff. You can use our Amazon affiliate link to get yourself a Funko Keaton Batman uh, that I'm holding up here. It is definitely less than the the customized Bob the Goon Funko that we were talking about earlier. That's like 50 bucks. So uh, you can get yourself a cheap Keaton one on there and uh, help us out a little bit. There'll be a, a nice you know, few cents, a few pennies coming our way uh, on that one. So uh, there's that. And also Manscaped. Yes. Woo! Let your balls hang out and be hairless. So get 20% <laughs> off and plus free shipping by using the promo code Johnson's Ballsack at manscaped.com. Feel the wind <laughs> unhindered by hair. Yes. While you <laughs> walk freely in your yard naked. If, if First you time can in do years. that. Yes. yes. <laughs> Look, you don't want to be doing superhero poses. In your underoos and a goddamn bush just fucking hanging out of that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to freshly shave that shit <laughs> so that your package looks pristine for your lo- for your loved one <laughs> and for yourself, for your confidence. It makes it seem bigger as well. See what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yes. So uh, this is important stuff. First impressions are really any impressions at any point are important. So uh, Indeed. <laughs> You know, yeah, try it out. Manscaped.com. Yeah, use the promo code Johnson's Ballsack, and there you go. Yep. So, yeah. Thank you. And we want you to do us a favor in your underoos. We want you to tell all your friends about us. Sounds different with the underoos part now that I think about it, but... We want you to tell all your friends about underoos. About Manscaped and stuff like that. Anyway... Don't leave, don't leave home without your ball trimmer. <laughs> so, some guy sees your freshly shorn sack and says, <laughs> Who are you, man? 